السلام عليك زين الأنبياء السلام عليك بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين وصحابته الأكرمين وتابعينهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وعلينا معهم وفيهم برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين one of the greatest blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after becoming Muslim is to have clarity about the greatness of this deen and to learn one's religion from a pure source. This is one of the greatest blessings of all. To learn from people that understand the deen in a very pristine way. And when you learn it from them, everybody of course is to a certain degree affected by their environment. But the great inheritors of the Prophet ﷺ, they're not affected negatively by their environment. They, in, on the contrary, have a direct connection to Allah and the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, And they have an unbroken chain of transmission back to the Prophet ﷺ that enables them to understand very well the time in which we live and very well how it is that they need to then present the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sunnah of his messenger sallallahu And they are living examples of the sunnah. And when we talk of these great people in this sense, don't think that they're gone or they're a thing of the past. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refuses that except to have special people remain on the face of this earth, so that people can actualize their Iman and their Islam and their Ihsan. They will always be here on the face of this earth. Whether or not you or I or someone else knows them is a different question. But they are there. And one of the things about the time in which we live is that they tend to be a little bit more hidden with some of the tendencies in the world. Call it what you will. Secular materials, whatever you will. However, when that type of mentality pervades these people tend to be more and more hidden. And some of them are still that very apparent and very accessible and very reachable. But to learn from people where that are that presenting this deen in an unadulterated fashion and to be able to understand their guidance when you're exposed to that, you know immediately that it's truth. And I remember shortly after becoming Muslim, having been to exposed to a particular group, I will refrain from mentioning the name. And this just so happened to be some of the people that I was around at the junior college that I was enrolled in. And their understanding of the deen was limited, but I didn't know any better at the time. And then we started studying with scholars that had been trained in this great tradition that stems back to the messenger himself these unbroken chains of transmission, this immense scholarly tradition that still is very much intact and exists all throughout the earth. And how just immediately in the very first lesson, how a lot of those other ideas, you just saw, poof, how limited they were. And how surface level they were. And lacking substance. And how when you sit before realized people who've sat before realized people that are living the realities of this deen, you grasp onto it. And this is, nothing is more important for us 
to that be means for, and no one's making any claims in these lands in which we live, than to hopefully experience that. But those people don't come out of a void. They come from an environment. And those environments have to be created so that then beautiful people like that grow. And it might take a generation or two or three or maybe a little bit more. But you start to see this first fruits of that when young people don't have to go through that stage where they need to unlearn much of what they've learned religiously, where they can build upon a solid foundation as opposed to that not only be derailed in their religious understanding but have to relearn and unlearn much of what they learned from the time that they were young. Imagine if you could build a solid foundation in a young person and then expose them throughout their life to that more and more meaning, what they would then experience, what they would then be exposed to from the blessings of this very blessed tradition. And one of the proofs of it is its efficacy. When it is in a place and when the environment is created, it gives results and it produces amazing people. And those people that they themselves see the fruit of their labor and of their understanding from the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So understanding our deen clearly in a time where so many people are confused is one of the great challenges and one of the great blessings for those that have those opportunities to learn their deen from pure sources. And when you hear them speak, things are so clear to them, it almost seems like what they're saying is simple and oftentimes it's not very complex. But people get confused even though it might be simple because there's so many other ideas out there. There's so many other things that people think that they should be doing or that they think that they should be thinking about or that they think that they should be entertaining in their minds. And they, when they present this deen, they do so in a way that were you really to sit down and think about the way that the companions themselves were, it's actually very easy to come to the conclusion, yes, that's how they would have understood it. And we know that the people who come at the end of time will only truly be rectified by that same understanding that the early people had. It doesn't mean that outwardly that things are going to all be the same, but it's the same spirit that internally at the level of the heart it's the same and it's the same principles as well. And those principles have to be that enter into the heart of an individual and then take root. And then synthesizing everything outwardly will be easy. We are master synthesizers as believers. But when this, in this whole talk of identity and all these other things that people talk about, if you don't take into consideration the spiritual dimension, you'll never truly get anywhere with that type of talk. Because once you're realized in Iman, Islam, and Ihsan, go anywhere. And you will act principally. You will engage properly. You will be able to synthesize that what other people find difficulty and scratch their head and are confused over. For you it's simple. If you're experiencing the realities of the deen, that whether you live in the United States of America or any other country, you know, you'll know exactly what it is that you need to do. And in that regard, one of our teachers said, which was very profound, simple, but very profound, and this is really what we need. And this is 
the prophetic understanding as long as in the word that he used was Iqbal as long as you have people that are turning to Allah setting out on a path to get close to Allah taking their deen seriously all of the meanings of Iqbal Iqbal is a very rich word in the Arabic language it's hard just to have one word or a phrase that you use to translate it and literally it means to that go towards something but here it means in relation to your heart it relates to dedication it relates to perseverance all of these meanings but taking your deen ultimately seriously as long as there's people like that on the face of this earth there will be tribulations warded off from all of humanity there will still be good that remains for all of humanity there will still be opportunities for people throughout the world to live a life of purpose, which ultimately lies in their knowledge of their Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so, with that understanding, if you think about that, it's not hard for us to grasp that. But the difficulty lies in people can't do that on an island by themselves for the most part. There has to be an environment for them to do that. There has to be community, there has to be friends, there has to be families, there has to be people that help you. You need to sit before people who are realized, who have traveled the path, so that you can then benefit from them. And the other beautiful thing that was said in this regard, as long as there's people that are doing what it is that we're supposed to be doing, trying to strengthen our men, learn our religion, put it into practice, and so forth and so on, this should be our number one preoccupation that we don't let anything else take its place. And sometimes people will agree with that and they'll say, yeah, yeah, okay, I agree with that. But then if you look in practical, in reality, what do they spend most of their time doing? How much time do they spend on social media in looking at things that aren't really going to help them in any way? How much time do they spend that watching the news or that reading about what's happening in the world? I'm not saying that you don't remain aware. You should be aware of what's happening in the world. However, what are we doing in and of our own selves to bring about change. And when we see things as such, that we first and foremost have to be concerned for our own selves, you have to realize that there's only so much that you can do as an individual. And don't let your desire to want to help prevent you from doing what it is that you can do to actually help. Because if everybody had that perspective, that they got themselves right first, and then they helped everyone else get right that was in their circle of influence. And that was the focus. Just as if everybody that took care of themselves financially and then took care of their immediate circle of influence financially. This is the way that we view things as Muslims. They take care of their family first and foremost and then your close neighbors and then people that you know. And so if everybody's doing that, there's going to be less reliance upon the state and on government funding and things of this nature. And then ultimately that the state there is to fill those gaps, but this individual responsibility, is a, should, this should be a part of our perspective. It should be that the way that we view things, that first and foremost we begin with our own selves. And again, that we know that, but oftentimes there is this cognitive dissonance and sometimes we speak of the meaning but it's not the way we actually act in practice. And the other thing that was, can be said in this regard as it, as, it, as it has been said 
is that when there are people that are focusing on what we really should be doing, it's a means of protecting us from those who are doing what they should not be doing. They're people that are either consciously or subconsciously that sowing corruption in the earth. Because all wrong that happens in the earth stems from the hands of human beings. We know this. This is the Quranic perspective. Is that fasad, corruption, has appeared on earth, in the land, and in the sea from that which people's hands have wrought. It comes from what people do. And if people are that disbelieving in Allah, in disbelieving and disobeying Allah, we know what there's going to be a result. That people are going to, unfortunately, that taste the bitterness of what happens as a result. This is the way creation works. And then the opposite is true as well. If people are taking their religion seriously, and they're getting themselves together, and they are that noticing that what it is that they do wrong, and they turn to their Lord time and time again, and they ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness, there are results. And this is also the Quranic perspective. And look at what Allah Ta'ala says in Surah Tanur. That say, seek the forgiveness of your Lord indeed, that he is ever forgiving. And then look what Allah Ta'ala mentions after that. This is one of the proofs, is that seeking the forgiveness of Allah is the key for things to be right in the world. It's the key for us to flourish in the way that it's possible in the worldly sense by seeking forgiveness of Allah Ta'ala. That he will send that copious rains down upon you and that he will that provide you with children. Uh, uh, he will get, provide you with wealth and with children and he will give you gardens and he will give you rivers. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of that comes from that state of seeking the forgiveness of Allah. And this is why the scholars that of the path, they always spoke about the importance of istighfar. And the ulama that of the sharia that we learn from them that it's an obligation to repent from every sin. But you learn from the people who are traveling the spiritual path is that it is from the traits of chivalry to continuously repent. To repent over and over, time and time again. And they say on top of that, you should also that worry that it will not be accepted. On top of repenting continuously, you should worry that it won't be accepted. Because the frame of toba, of repentance, it should be understood in the following way, is that sin is like poison. It will harm you. And ultimately, that it will kill you spiritually. And it will prevent you from your beloved being close to the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then from his creation being close to the messenger, those who are beloved to Allah. It will come in the way 
between us and closeness to Allah and His Messenger and the righteous. And with that frame, that repentance takes on a whole other meaning. Because then when we are given this choice of to do something or to not to do something, if you think about the pain of separation that is involved in that not being with your beloved, it motivates you then to leave that very thing. And this is exactly what doing things that is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does. And that these scholars, they speak about the conditions of repentance. And they say in general there are three. The heart of them is remorse. Because our Prophet said, Anadim Toba. That Anadim Toba. Remorse is repentance. In other words, it's the essence of repentance. And from that remorse, then it leaves someone, leads someone to leave what it is that they were doing, which is the second thing. And it leads them as well to have what's called azm, firm resolution, to never do it again. And remorse is important. And remorse is not that you just lay down on the ground like a rag and don't do anything. No, remorse is active. It actively burns up the traces of that sin and prepares the heart to be in a state that is more likely to be accepted with Allah. And it motivates you then because of that feeling you don't want to experience again to not go back to that particular thing. And so remorse is important. And it should motivate us to get our act together. And then the fourth condition is if it relates to someone else. If you've misappropriated something, if the sin is between you and another person, then you have to rectify that wrong. But the scholars of the path, they add this aspect of being worried about whether your repentance is going to be accepted or not. And not just repenting, because if you think about it, that there are so many opportunities in the day. If you look at many of the invocations that we recite in the morning, in the evening, the first thing we say after every prayer, astaghfirullah, 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 that what do we say that in some of the invocations after the prayer, the invocations, some of the invocations that we say before it is that we go to bed, that multiple opportunities throughout the day, before you enter into a masjid, right, you send salawat upon the Prophet and you ask Allah to forgive you and to open up the doors of His mercy, many different opportunities. So we should bring this into our lives where we that repent through that the various invocations that we say for the various things that we do throughout the day and if we fall short in any way immediately that we repent to Allah Ta'ala and at specific times especially like before going to bed. We're bringing this into our life because this is fitting for us as servants of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala knowing that it is that we fall short. But the key is, is that we go from a state where we're just saying it with our tongue, or not, not, let alone not saying it at all, that we're, we try to start bringing this into our lives. But then we attempt to have presence of heart. And they mention a story that uh, Sayyidina Ali one time observed a man who had finished praying. And then he said that, Allahum inni astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. And he did it very quickly. Oh Allah, I seek your forgiveness and I relent unto you. And then Sayyidina Ali, that he told him, he says that, 
Just, just saying, I seek forgiveness of Allah very quickly with the tongue is the tawbah, the kathabin. This is the repentance of those who are not sincere in their repentance. He says, and that tawbah needs tawbah. That way of seeking repentance needs a further seeking of repentance, seek, seeking of forgiveness. And this is one of the things that, that uh, Sayyidah Rabit al-Adawiyah said, that our istighfar, our seeking forgiveness, needs seeking forgiveness because of the way that we're doing it. And that opens up a door for us of humility. It's not that, oh, we sought the forgiveness of Allah and we're done. That what is our state? We should move that more and more to a broken state. We should move to a, that further state of humility. And then Sayyidina Ali went on to say is that real repentance includes six meanings, some of what we've already spoken about. So I won't repeat those. Um, but he adds to it that, that replacing what it is that we are doing with good, that training ourselves to that deal with the bitterness of obedience so that we can that avoid that which the we can avoid that which we found pleasurable previously from the acts of disobedience adorning ourselves with obedience and then that weeping this is one of the that important parts of this forcing ourselves to weep before Allah because we know our states we know what we've done. And inshallah ta'ala, those are the, some of the best moments of our lives. If Allah gives us tawfiq to weep before Him because we know our state and we know how needy we are of His mercy, subhanahu wa ta'ala, instill, as we are taught, that there's a state of worry, that it won't be accepted. And then after this, well, of course, move into a state of, we don't remain always in a state of fear. We move to a state of hope. We go back to a state of fear. We always are, it's like two wings of a bird. We're moving back and forth to both. But if we bring this into our lives, that there'll be a sweetness that comes from it. Because the more we repent, the more that we remove sin from our life, the more polished the mirror of the heart becomes. The more it is that will benefit from gatherings of goodness the more it is that will be impacted by the Qur'an and by the words of our Prophet ﷺ. And all of that will lead to the sweetness of faith. And it will lead to that qurb, proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is that state of heart when you remember Him, you don't feel distant, you don't feel cut off, you don't feel hard internally. Rather, that, that meaning you're, you're close to, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in relation to the meanings of the re His remembrance is that it's a closeness of heart. And this is something that is that very beautiful and something it is that we should all be striving towards. May Allah ta'ala ta ta bless us to be from the tawabin, accept all of our prayers, Ya Arham Rahmin, and to bless us to receive the fruits of having repented continuously. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.